Good day, everyone. Thank you for listening. Uh, tonight's Devar uh, Torah is uh, sponsored by uh, Peter and Felice Katz, dear friends of mine from Muncie, in the memory and the yardsite of Peter's father, Yudo Arye Ben Shlomo Akoe Katz. I had the privilege of knowing him as well for Muncie. We should hear good news one from another and be comforted in all of our difficulties. About 50 years ago, no more than that. There was a famous book by a Jewish theologian of the United States. The name of the book was God in Search of Man. Uh, tonight's Dvar Torah, if it had to have a title, uh, I believe it would be Man in Search of God because uh, this is the central issue uh, that appears in the parish of Kitisa. Jewish people construct a golden calf and they say, this is, this is your God, O Israel. Uh, this was occasioned by the fact that Moshe uh, did not come down from the mountain when they expected him to. And they were afraid to be left alone. So they went in search of a God. And the only God that they could, after centuries of paganism in Egypt, the only God that they could, so to speak, imagine and construct had to be a physical God. So when the calf, the uh, golden calf, uh, sprang forth from the fire, it was natural for them to say, Yisrael, this is your God, O Israel. So if we think about the story, it uh, becomes almost uh, beyond our comprehension. Just uh, a few weeks before, they all stood at the foot of Mount Sinai. They saw the great revelation of God's omnipotence. They heard the voice from Sinai And they said, Nasib and Ishma, we accept everything. And they knew that the uh, two basic tenets in the Ten Commandments is Lo You cannot have a different God. And you cannot construct for yourself a physical representation of deity. 
So how could it be that they're kind of, they're, they're, now there's a golden calf and they say, hey, well, I don't think it's so. So one stream in the uh, commentators regarding the Chumash, and it's probably the dominant stream, is that they were evil people. And evil people do evil things, even though those things are irrational are self-contradictory. The nature of evil is that it never makes sense. It's always counterproductive to the evildoer. But evil does a pretty thriving business in our world. Therefore, uh, some of them force him to say it was the Arab Rav who were evil people. They're the ones that constructed it. Others say there were agitators that uh, pushed the Jewish people into it. One stream is that they're guilty. They're completely guilty. We cannot find any mitigating motive. We cannot find anything that would justify such behavior because it is so patently contradictory to what they themselves just heard and accepted and believed and saw. And lo yielacho and lo sasilacho regarding idolatry has nothing to do with whether Moshe is there or not there. Nowhere in the Ten Commandments does it say that you have to believe in Moshe or that they are effective only when Moshe is around. Now, we all know that students behave better when the teacher is in the classroom. But that doesn't mean that you cannot be the student of the school and graduate even if the teacher is not in the classroom. So, therefore, this stream of uh, interpretation is of the opinion that it is pure evil and no nobility in their purpose. And because of that, therefore, the punishment is that in every generation, whenever there are troubles that befall the Jewish people, and we can be rest assured that in every generation there will be troubles that before the Jewish people will say it in the Haggadah, in every generation there's an Iran, there's a Germany, there's a Russia. It's omnipresent. The names change, the issues change. The milieu changes, but it's all the same. So in every generation, a piece of the ego has to be paid. It's like a long-term mortgage. It's a fee that has to be paid. Remember when I was in Miami Beach, uh, 
much of the land in Miami Beach was on long-term leaseholds. You didn't owe it. You didn't own the land in fee simple. You owned only a leasehold. Rent was due. And there always was, aside from the rent, a fee to be paid for the original lease. So that was, the, to me, the example of the Viega. There's a, they have to make the leasehold payments every month and month. And then there's the original fee, which continues perpetually. The day that I come to collect, the Lord says, I'll collect that fee also. So that's one stream. Evildoers did it. There's no good to be found in them at all. As a second stream of commentaries, especially of the later commentaries, such as uh, the Meshachachma and uh, the Hamik Dover, and most of the Hasidic Rebbe commentaries that saw within the behavior of the Jewish people a search for godliness, but they did it the wrong way. They, they got the wrong God. They, they uh, took the wrong turn on the road. But where they were trying to go, had nobility and spirituality and eternity as its goal. And therefore, they did not feel it to be contradictory to the Aseret Advorim. They thought that in order to achieve that godliness, at least temporarily, they needed an ego. Later on, they would discard the ego. The ego was only a uh, means to an end. It was to get them to spirituality. So they're really looking for God. They're a man in search of God. The only thing is that in that search, they uh, looked in the wrong places. They used the wrong methods. They were unable to translate their desire, which had in it positive means and ideas. They were unable to translate it into positive action and behavior. There's a famous uh, discussion in Hasidus. I've mentioned it before. It isn't that I think that you don't remember what I say. It's just that I want to emphasize things, so I do so by repetition. I remember I had a Jew in my shul in Muncie who was a medical doctor. There's a Genius, very special person. 
and he would come up to me after I delivered one of my great sermons. And a number of times in my career, he said to me, you know, you said this sermon eight years ago. And this parsha. So originally I thought I would be insulted. Or that he meant it as an insult. But then when I thought about it, I thought it was the greatest compliment that I ever got. Most people don't remember my sermons for eight minutes. He said, he remembered I said it eight years ago. So I told him, I said, if I said it eight years ago, then it bears repetition. If you remember it, it bears repetition. So I'm convinced of that. So I'm never, so to speak, feel myself uh, awed by the fact that sometimes I repeat myself. Anyway, the uh, Hasidic uh, anecdote is as follows. Uh, the Rebbe of Vorka was having a discussion with the great Rabbi Menachem Mendel of Kotsk. They were both friends. Vorka was very uh, loyal to the Kotsker. Both came from the school of Pshizchi. And they were having a discussion. And the basis of the discussion was, why here by the Egil do we see that the Lord forgave them, so to speak? Moshe prays on their behalf. It's true, a few thousand of them are killed. But basically, the people are preserved. People continue. Nothing is canceled with them. And why, for instance, by the Miraguim, which are the spies, which on the surface seems to be much less of a sin of a transgression. They didn't want to go to Eretz Yisrael, so they didn't want to go to Eretz Yisrael. A lot of people don't want to go to Eretz Yisrael. Most of the Jewish people don't want to go to Eretz Yisrael. Well, Maharaj, what's the problem? Oh, that generation has to die in the desert. None of them will ever see Eretz Yisrael. Kaviochal Shalom takes an oath. Wow. So what's all the excitement there? And when it comes to the ego, which certainly looks to us like the most cardinal sin ever committed, 40 days from Sinai, they're building a golden calf and dancing and worshiping it. There the Lord uh, forgives them. Moshe prays, Hashem, Hashem, Kerachum, Bechanun. Vayomer Hashem, Salach, Tikidvarecho, I forgive them. So that was the discussion between the Vorker and the Kotzker. How can we understand that? 
when according to our human logic, it seems obvious that the Lord should have forgiven them for the miraculous for Israel, but not for the ego, because the ego was so much more a severe sin. And so much more negativity attached to it. So the Vorker volunteered the following answer. He said, the Jewish people did tshuva after the Maiseo Ego. They took off their crowns, they sat and wept, they were truly sorry that they had done such a terrible thing. So they did real tshuva. And they did tshuva at a time when they did not yet know that tshuva could help. So their tshuva was sincere. It was tshuva for the sake of tshuva, not for the sake to be forgiven, not for the sake that no punishment should come on them. It was simply because they were sorry of what they did. It was not tshuva to erase the consequences of the sin. It was tshuva for the sin itself. Because they didn't know yet that tshuva helped. They're not going to know that it helps until the end of the story. But by the Miraglim, by Eretz Yisrael, they already knew that tshuva helped. They already had this experience. And therefore the tshuva that they did was insincere. It was not tshuva on the sin, it was tshuva on the consequences. What's the Gemara says, uh, I will sin, but I'll do tshuva so I can sin again. So in my speaking, that tshuva is never going to help. They're never going to get anywhere with it. And therefore, that's why the generation with the Miraglin was wiped out. Because their tshuva was insincere. And it was insincere because they knew already the power of tshuva. Very, very deep thought that the Vorker says. But that's not the fourth I want to bring to you. That's what the Kotzker says. The Kotzker said, that's how you interpret it. I interpret it differently. He said, by the ego, the Jewish people were looking for godliness. They're looking for a God. They want something. They're looking for spirit. Now, they did, went about wrongly. Their method, their means was incorrect. But their goal was noble. Their goal was that they were looking man in search of God. They wanted to find the Rabboni Shalom. And that's why they said, Yisrael, this is your God. By the Miraglin, there was no godliness involved whatsoever. It was a question of their convenience. 
in Chutz Lawrence, they were going to be noblemen, rich men, live in serenity, not have to go to wars, not be besieged by enemies. That's why they didn't want to go. So their Avera came from base motives, from negative motives. So the Rome Shalom didn't forgive them. But by the Maraglim, it came, so to speak, from noble motives. It came from a search for God. And therefore, the Lord allowed them to continue. But he demanded that their search for God be confined to the methodology which the Torah portrays. Lo yielecho, lo sasselecho. cannot search for God without knowing in advance how to search for God. During the uh, Six-Day War, I read this uh, story from one of the uh, soldiers who fought on Ammunition Hill. So he said in the bitter fight with the Jordanians, <clears throat> so uh, he was in the midst of his platoon, whatever it was, and uh, unfortunately there were very heavy casualties on the Israeli side. And he was truly afraid that he had on uh, the left, on the right, they were falling. He was truly afraid that uh, he would not survive. And he said at that moment, he was overcome with a tremendous desire to pray. And he realized he doesn't know how to pray. He doesn't know what to say. As a secular Jew, God forbid he should ever step into a synagogue. Yet he should ever have a prayer book. In his home, in his heart. So he said he then highly resolved that if he got out alive, he would at least teach himself how to pray. And he writes that he did so and that eventually became an observant Jew. So you're in search of God, but how do you do it? So without Torah, without tradition, very hard to get there. So that was the answer of the Kotzker. That somehow there was a nobility of purpose here by the ego that spared them. Whereas by the Miraglim, it was all materialistic. There was no spiritual idea at all. They were just looking out for themselves. They wanted to live a comfortable lives. They felt he couldn't do it in Israel. So that's one aspect of man in search of God in this week's parish. 
The second aspect has to do with Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe is on the mountain for 40 days. He's in heaven. He doesn't eat. He doesn't drink. He's in a state of suspended animation. We don't know. We have no idea what went on there. And he studied the Torah. And he received the Torah Shabbat. And then he prayed for another 40 days for the Jewish people to be forgiven. And then he brought down the second tablets. And then he asks a strange thing, Moshe. So one would think that, you know, you've been to heaven. However, we'll understand that. And uh, that you've been able to live, uh, so to speak, outside of your body. You don't have to eat. You don't have to drink. You don't have to sleep. All bodily uh, functions are suspended. But Moshe is still not satisfied. Moshe says, If I have found favor in your eyes, show me you. Show me your honor, your glory. Help me understand how the world works. How does the master of the universe function? What is the godly logic that governs all human events? So that, again, is man in search of God. Moshe Rabbeinu was at the highest level, according to uh, Jewish tradition. He was at the 49th level, ready to climb to the 50th, which is the ultimate level, which is, so to speak, where the Shina itself resides. So he said, let me climb that last step. Reveal yourself to me. So that I will understand you. And the Lord answers him, I, that cannot happen. Human being can never reach that level. Simply by being alive, you have taken away the, the 50th level. It's out of your reach. You'll never understand. The Lord tells them, you won't see me in front, you'll see me in back. Meaning in history, you'll see me, you'll see me as I pass. You won't see me. At that point, you'll never get Moshe's search for God also ends in a bit of frustration because he is not granted the wish that he wanted, not granted the ability that he demanded. He said, Harini knows Kodecha, and the Rabboni Shalom told him, You will not see me. You won't understand me. I will not allow it to happen. So we are left 
that the lesson of this parsha is that we're always searching for God. Our whole life is spent in search of that. There are moments when we think we're close, when we sense it. Then there are many, many moments when we are far, far away and that to a great extent the search is even abandoned. And I think that these are powerful lessons that can be derived and deduced from this week's Parsha. Lesson that man is always in search of God. And uh, as in many things in life, even if the goal is unattainable, the search is worthy. The search itself is its own reward. And that has really been the task of the Jewish people throughout the ages. Shachar avakeshcho Hashem. From the earliest morning every day, I search for you, God. And that is the responsibility of all of us in our lives to make sure that that search continues and that it becomes the basic idea and modus operandi within our lives' existence. I'd like to thank you again for listening and I want you all to stay well and get vaccinated. And again, I'd like to thank the Katzes for sponsoring this Dvar Torah. Thank you and good night and stay well, everyone, and good Shabbos.